As young people in the UK grow into adulthood, the potential for establishing more intimate relationships open up considerably. But what does this mean when they leave home for university, enter into higher education, or move directly into workplace? Each of these changes provide new opportunities to connect with a range of different people and opportunity to form close intimate relationships. So there was a study done on relationships and it focused really on the Western societies with its underlying idea of romantic love and free choice of partners. And what was interesting is it's far from the universal approach of long-term relationships. And what may surprise you is that majority of the marriages that take place in the world are more or less arranged or based on considerations beyond the notion of romantic love. So David Bass, a psychologist in 1994, studied the citizens of different countries and found they tended to highlight different reasons for getting married. To give some examples, he found that in Iran, factors such as education and ambition were seen as more important for choosing a spouse, whilst in Nigeria, citizens ranked good health, refinement, neatness, and the desire for home and children highest. Almost most of the research that was carried out in these areas were really focused on heterosexual relationships. However, it has been found that there are a number of similarities between homosexual and heterosexual relationships, and there are differences. When we get more chances to interact with another person, that means that we become more familiar with that person. And numerous studies have shown that we prefer people that we are familiar with rather than strangers. Another psychologist, Robert Ziank, in 1968, explains that the more often we're exposed to a certain stimulus, such as sound, picture, or a person, the more positively we will rate that stimulus. So the reason we are more likely to be attracted to people we meet more often may be because we feel secure, safe with the people that we know. However, we are also more likely to be in regular close proximity to people with who we share similar interests with. So it could be that you work together or have uh, certain activities that you guys like doing or are from the same friendship group um, or even similar group circumstances. Almost all British Asians have heard that question. Where are you from? Most of us reply, I'm from here, the UK. Most of us add, if from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, but my parents, grandparents are from, etc. Not all of us add, my ethnicity is Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi. How many of us feel compelled to add that second comment? Do we add it? because we see a puzzled response to our first answer or because we feel the first statement did not fully describe who we are? Or did we leave the second comment because there's a question of acceptance and belonging? Today we have a guest that I met not so long ago but felt an instant connection with during our coaching practice. I would like to thank and allow my guest to speak and introduce himself. Welcome. Hello, Razia. It's really exciting to be on your podcast. Um, I've been listening in and, yeah, I'm just really happy to, to be here. Um, so, yeah, I am Samraj and I am Sikh, Punjabi, 
British and all of those things. So it's really interesting for for me to hear you say all those things because I just feel like I'm a mishmash mosh and I'm absolutely fine with that. Um, I am second generation born in the UK. So my parents were born here, but my grandparents migrated from India in the late 50s and they settled in a lovely little part of West London called Southall, um, which is heavily populated with um, South Asians. And that's where I grew up. So, yeah, I I really resonate with what you're saying there in terms of how do we describe ourselves? I mean, me personally, I sometimes I use British Asian, sometimes I use Punjabi, sometimes I use Indian. Like, I don't think... I use any one thing or I haven't kind of defined that for myself. I just go with the flow. I suppose it depends on what situations I might be in or who I'm around. Um, so, yeah, I feel quite fluid in that sense. And I I use all different, different terms and I'm fine with that. And it's okay. And identity is, is very kind of... Um, all-encompassing and not just kind of ethnicity so for me it's um it's a little part of of what I tell because um it's quite evident I'm I'm an Asian person um and I I respond to kind of if I'm asked questions I'll, I'll say yes um my grandparents are, are originally from India um, and they came here to the UK and to London in the late 50s um as part of kind of a partition story um, back in India and Pakistan. So, yeah, I, I I don't have any one way of saying it. Yeah, the culture of South Asians is completely entwined with language, ethnicity and religion. And, you know, when we're kind of talking about these things, how do we put ourselves in a frame that is fitting with kind of almost two identities um but what would be really interesting is um just to kind of get started and and to get into the the conversation is how would you um share your experiences of kind of your upbringing and some of the stereotypes that you grew up with given that we're both from like a Punjabi traditional family you'll see obviously Muslim but I think that we will have more in common than maybe, you know, uh, many other kind of Asian just because we're both Punjabi, regardless of our religious differences. Yeah, no, completely. Um, so, yeah, I think stereotypes is is such a great word um, because when I just think about kind of, you know, upbringing and childhood, there's so many. And I think you'll really resonate it with it too because of what you just said. It's a very similar background we come from. Um, but yeah, just to kind of um, get started and what's coming up for me is, you know, this whole idea of expectations, I think, with being born in a Punjabi family and then growing up in a Punjabi family, it was almost like there's just so many expectations. I mean, from the minute I think you're born, it's almost like looking into your eyes or looking into a baby's eyes and being like having all these plans almost set out for, for this child. Um, and life is all about navigating kind of who you are and and how you fit within those expectations, how you how you might break out of them, maybe, um, and what it means to break out of those. Um, but what's coming up for me as well is kind of comparison. Um, I feel like 
the Punjabi community love to compare. So growing up as a child, it'd be like, oh, what are so-and-so's children kind of doing and up to? Are they following this path? And by this path, I mean kind of getting a good education, um, listening to your parents, um, doing as what like doing what they say, not really going out and socializing. That wasn't that, that's not really a good thing. Um, and and really kind of um, sticking to this this path of education. And then you're told probably about three or four years old that you know the right age to get married, you know, is around 24, 25. And you kind of grow up with these these things that seem quite subtle at the time, but they're, they're quite serious. Um, and I felt personally that, you know, looking around, this is what the community were doing. They were listening to their parents. They were going and trying to get good education. They were being compared to others. And um, they were told that, you know, we will be getting, you know, probably hitched up at 24, 25. And that would be it. And then after that would, you know, is the whole when are you going to have children? And this is the right age. So, yeah, I think it's all about the right age of milestones to do things and linking it back to those expectations. And this is really interesting because I just I just think about all the people that kind of have followed that, that path and that straight line of expectation and also others that might have actually work things out for themselves and and dealt with kind of their parents and the wider community um, in a different way to kind of accommodate what they wanted and um, how that was different to those expectations. So I think stereotyping, it was very much like, you know, get a good education. Um, also, what's coming up for me now is about kind of communication. It was all about kind of how well you were doing at school how was school what subjects are you going to choose I remember kind of you know having these almost meetings with my parents about what subjects I was going to choose for my GCSEs or my A-levels and it was almost like a joint decision and I remember actually sitting there saying I wanted to do drama um, for GCSE and A-level and my parents looking at me like I was a complete alien like why on earth would you want to do drama and I was just like, well, I, I really enjoy it. And actually, I'm really good at it. And I could get a good grade here. And it was almost like this whole pitch of explaining yourself and and really trying to, to get them um, on board with what, actually what you wanted to do. And I think at that age, what, 15, 16, it's, it's not so serious. But it does become quite serious when, when you kind of enter, you know, the, the age where you're choosing university education or going into your 20s and where those milestones of expectations kick in, um, it does become a lot more serious. You think about it a lot more and um, you want to respond um, in, in a way that's authentic to you. But also, you might not either. There, there's a lot of kind of fear around moving away from expectation and how you're going to deliver that communication. Because I think stereotyping, again, communication is a big problem within the community. Um, it's not very open. Um, it's very much, you know, go under the radar with things that 
you know, might not be acceptable in kind of the elder's eyes or I remember actually <laughs> um, my mum saying to me, just make sure no one comes back to me and tells me what you're up to. I was like, what What do you mean by that? And it, it just, it was funny because it was like, actually, you're right. If you're, you know, in school years, you're experimenting, you're, you're being naughty, you're truanting. Like, I'm talking about myself, I'm not generalising. But I, I was like, oh, I don't want to get caught kind of, you know, up the alley with my friends and, you know, some auntie, see, we, we refer to everyone as auntie, um, <laughs> elder-wise. And this auntie might go back and report what I'm up to. But I'm, I'm just casually with friends at an alley. But no, no, no. If I'm not in school and back home, it was kind of like, what are you up to? And I don't want to be hearing it from any other person. So, yeah, interesting. Wow. And I can completely relate. Um, actually, I was a little bit fortunate, I think. Um, I did um, uh, drama for GCSEs as well. Um, but my parents, I think, had no hope. And they just let me do whatever the hell I wanted. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think like, kind of, it. You, your parents get a gauge for what type of person, like, and child you're growing up to be. Like, I was quite <laughs> submissive. Um, I would want to kind of please my parents or want them to approve of what I was doing all the time. So, and equally, my brother was the complete opposite. So it was like, actually you kind of get that sense of whether your child might actually be retaliating um, in future or or not. And I think I was that quiet child where I was like, yes, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm a good boy. Um, and yeah, that probably didn't serve me very well um, later on. But yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And it's so um, interesting when I was kind of looking into this, um, how we associate ourselves in like kind of social categories and groups. So these groups kind of um, identify the whole promotion of this is where I belong and this is my identity, which kind of helps us also um, look define ourselves, but also others to define us as well um and and this kind of comes from kind of self-esteem and sense of status so yes, um yeah. the sense of kind of group identity is then enhanced um to make comparisons between people like us and you know people who are different to us does that make sense that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. And I think being second generation as well, it was almost like this, how the Western influence was was kind of coming into, into our lives. So I remember hearing stories, you know, about my parents and, you know, how life was for them being first generation. And it was very much, you know, the stories were about strict kind of ways of, of living with, within the family and outside the family. So my mum would say, you know, as soon as we came home from school, we would have to get dressed into into Indian Indian clothes. And we would have to go into the kitchen and we would have to help our parents prepare dinner. And it was kind of this whole outside inside. Um, and when you go outside, that's only for education um, purposes, not socialising, not mixing. Um, and when you come home, the, the, the TV programs they watched were all Indian. And the language they spoke was Punjabi. And um, the food they ate every single day would be an Indian meal. So, you know, when you compare that to then 
looking when when I compare it and look at you know how my upbringing was there was a lot more kind of you know English British food there was us talking about our friends at school there was us you know dressing in English clothes like it was just how it was and at that time for us it was just how life was and you know we didn't think any different but when you hear stories from you know the previous generation you're like actually you can really appreciate that that change and that difference and I think it must have been quite a navigation for say my parents to to witness how this influence was was changing kind of in their children's generation and I remember you know coming back from school one day and and being like I want to go with my friend to to scouts club and my mum just looked at me like what on earth are you talking about and I was like you know it's just down the road my friend's parents pick me up and then come and drop me off and it's fine and I just thought it would it was that concern about you know getting to and from and and just being safe but now when I look back at it I think was it that whole oh what what is this scouts club what are they going to be doing like and what are they going to be teaching or what western influence would that have maybe on on Sam so you know, I look at it from a completely different way now. But at the time, I was just like, I really don't get this. Like, this is just what everyone does. And why aren't I allowed to go? And this is just so mean. And, you know, just proper child thinking. But now it's almost like, oh, it, it was that whole whole kind of influence overriding and um, changing the way things were going forward and what that meant and how that might have shaped, you know, our thinking and who we were. And I, I always think as well, there was this whole thing about, you know, holding on to, to culture, holding on to, you know, who we were as people and not forgetting that. So, it was a very big part of my life growing up in terms of, you know, my mum would send me every Sunday to go and learn Punjabi because she was like, it's really important, you know, your mother tongue, even though it wasn't her mother tongue, it was her her mum's mother tongue. And also attending the, the Gurdwara, which is the Sikh temple every Sunday. Um, and also being part of the extended family. So life was with my all my cousins all the time on the weekend and being part of that group um to not lose you know our our culture almost um and then there's this really interesting thing about how we bring that together with you know how we're growing up and what we're seeing and experiencing um in life around us um and what other people are doing because we're just that bit more integrated yeah, and for a lot of us, maintaining that contact with our cultural heritage um, is a question of duty. We feel obliged to attend traditional kind of ceremonies or festivals celebrated by our parents' generation as... And there's many of those. <laughs> <laughs> there's many of those. So, you know, the other important issue is, you know, do we need to go to India or Pakistan anymore? Is it really necessary to maintain that cultural link or... Um, you know, do we need to go there in order 
to also maintain our cultural identity. But um, it's so weird that you say that because when we were growing up, we also had to go to the mosque, learn about religion, which I completely am for. It's just um, interesting because you said that when you came home, you had to dress in your traditional clothes. And we used to do that when we were younger. Um, obviously, as we grew up, we started getting comfortable with like trackies and PJs and all of that kind of just didn't translate through but and my parents were not kind of over the top like you have to dress in this way but every now and again when we speak in English at home they'll make a point to say Punjabi karo. it's like yeah to constantly remind us that you know this is your language this is how you should be speaking at home you speak English all day outside don't forget your mother tongue don't forget um, your roots don't forget your values and it's constantly on a daily basis reminded who we are and how we should show up Definitely, definitely. And I think it's really interesting because I, I know when we spoke, like, you know, um, initially, um, we said how much, you know, these things are part of our life. And it's just in a very different way. So I think, like, my parents, for example, are like, yeah, speak Punjabi or, you know, do this or go to the temple and do. And it's like, it's, it's very much in me um, to do. And I think my journey has been figuring out what it all means to me and doing what feels right to me. And I am doing quite a lot of those things anyway, but it's almost like a set thing to do. It's not a tick box. It's almost like, you know, finding out what it means to you and what it's all about and how you want to continue that going forward. Because... I think it's really important if something means something to you, um, you will kind of um, follow it through. Um, being told what to do, um, I think, has the opposite effect. You kind of can move away and and not really, you know, pursue something or you might let it go. And I think that's a real shame because, you know, there's there's so much in finding out actually how those things have influenced you today and also how much it plays a part of your present life and actually what you may pass on to to future generations and um allowing i think allowing ourselves to do that and go through that process is really because it might mean that you know it doesn't really have that much influence in someone's life and and that's fine it's all about kind of working out what things mean to you and not actually um going by the collective norm of you know i, I give an example and people go and get married for example at, at the temples or mosques or churches but not really believe um or they don't really understand, and especially when it's, you know, in maybe a different language, if it's if the ceremony is done in Punjabi, for example, um, it's like, oh, do, do people know what they're actually doing? Do they understand what's going on? Or are they just ticking the box um, for maybe their parents or wanting this ceremony um, as something that they thought they would always do um, and not really understanding what it actually means? So I think, yeah, there's, there's a real... And everyone I speak to has really different kind of takes on how they, how it is, you know, showing up in their lives or what it means for their decisions and choices. And some it's, um, it's very the same. So it's very much how they were brought up and, you know, doing the tick box exercises and, and not really um, 
going off that that path again i keep referring to this path no no you're absolutely right and you know whilst i'm listening to you say all those things it's got me thinking kind of where does this whole perception come from for for our parents and so many of us feel when we're growing up in um you know on our own uh, we weren't really oh I shouldn't say for our second generation more so for our parents generation our grandparents generation they were not made to feel welcome when they came to the UK and so the term Asian was given to us as immigrants uh because you know we were arriving into Britain um from South Asia. And so Asians had to fight a lot for their rights to be treated with respect and fairness. And a lot of, you know, we we almost had to, uh, and I'm speaking for my parents' generation, almost had to remind uh, the British majority that we were invited here to work for the NHS or foundries or factories or, you know, we were actually invited to do the work. And if you look kind of fast forward to our generation, the Asian kid in the classroom um, has become like an important part of the British culture because the Asian person who is in the corner shop or is working in a bank or is an IT professional, they're all contributing in their own way to the British economy. So we all play a part of kind of culture, um, not only from our respective uh, countries or backgrounds, but also in the British culture. And, you know, what's interesting is how do we then form our own identities at the back of We are born and bred here, but our parents are from there. We go to school or colleges or universities and form this completely brand new life. And then we come home and then we're almost, um, I don't know if molded is the right word to say, but we're almost kind of um, back into that mentality of all of a sudden, you know, what language you have to speak, what clothing you have to wear, what food you can eat, what you can and can't say. For example, you can't speak, uh, you can't say certain words out loud like, this is really extreme, but sex, you wouldn't necessarily say it out loud. You would just whisper it if you were ever to speak about it or that thing. You would never refer to it directly. Yeah, there's almost this filter, isn't there? Yeah, that's it. I think that's appropriate to say. It's a filter. And we apply it as soon as we step into our homes. And then when we step out, we're back into our British suit, uh, per se. But, you know, having now gone into the meat of the, the conversation, um, you know, how did when you were growing up all of this impact you given that you you and I both have um two identities almost? Um I don't yeah. even know if that's the right way to describe it, but I definitely feel like I have two identities. One's a Pakistani girl and one's a British girl, and then you intertwine these two and then that's me, um, because I'm so traditional and I do love my culture and the language and I am a true bindle at heart but but at the same time when I step out you know I can very easily fit into the British culture as well because I you know majority of my life I've spent here Um, how was that when you were growing up and how did you kind of find yourself uh, identifying maybe with more uh, on one side than the other yeah yeah so I think for me um as I said probably at the beginning so I w- I grew up in Southall which was predominantly Asian and also I went to school um with a very high Asian population um so I would go from home to school um and be mixing with um you know fellow Asians and it would be all about kind of you know having that time in school to really talk about all these things that we had in common. Um, So for me, it was kind of like, I I didn't feel this 
real big identity struggle almost um, growing up because of the society I was in. Um, I felt like, you know, everyone at school um, was almost, you know, probably in identical positions and and we would share that kind of, you, and we'd pass it off as jokes or, you know, oh God, it's so annoying that we have to do this X, Y, and Z. Um, but it was almost shared. So I didn't feel like singular or I didn't feel like, oh, that was... So it was different for me, for example. So it was almost like a normalization, I think, going to school um, with, within the society and within that community. Um, it, it really sh- it, it changed when I went to university because um, that was a completely different experience. But I would say growing up, I didn't have that whole identity struggle with culture and who I was, um, or religion and who I was. I think what happened for me was, you know, I, I was brought up focused on education. And I think it came from the generation, my grandparents' generation that came here. Um, I think the, the fundamental, and obviously it's a lot deeper than this, but the fundamentals of it was, you know, to have a better life um, and to get you know, the next generations educated to a, to a certain level. So that was quite ingrained in, in me. And I, I went to grammar school and I, I really spent a lot of my time outside of school on education and um, getting good grades. And it was all about that. But what was interesting for me was then growing up and realizing, you know, I struggled with emotions. I struggled with opening up. I struggled with talking about certain topics, like you mentioned, um, you know, sex, for example. Oh, God, you can't talk about that. Um, And there were many other things that, you know, were taboo subjects almost that you just would not speak about. Um, And I felt like in that way, it was quite repressive um, because... You, you don't have that opportunity to, to really open up and say what's on your mind or talk about your feelings. It was just not in, in the domains. It was just like an unheard of thing. And I think, you know, when you look, when I look at my parents' generation and they were a generation of kind of arranged marriages and being told what to do when by their parents, um, and it was almost like, how is this all going to work out for for us and our generation? And there was still that, you know, underlying thing about not bringing things to the table or the surface because you were scared to do so or you just didn't want to enter that kind of, that dialogue of shameful conversation almost. Um so, yeah, going back to, to the point of, you know, what I noticed, it was just actually wasn't that well prepared in, in managing ourselves and our emotional side. And I think today I sit here speaking to you and emotional education and emotional intelligence is such an important part to me now, um, almost a bigger part of me and my journey and and my way forward. And I think education has become a totally different, or I've defined education as a totally different thing. Yes, there is that whole going to school, getting, you know, getting good grades, going to university, but also, you know, that 
emotional education um, about having open conversation communication and transparency and being able to understand and talk about your feelings and having that openness um, to allow you to to work out what's going on for you. Um, Because whilst you're going through, say, the traditional education and the exams, that there's, all, there's also stress and there's also pressure, but those things weren't really kind of considered as I was growing up. It was almost like, just do it. Like, this is a fabulous opportunity, but also what impact was that having? It was, you know, there's there's other things going on beneath the surface that you almost, you're just building up and you're keeping in and, you know, you, you reach the age, well, I reached the age of 18 and being like, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not really opening up and I'm not talking about, and I don't know how to. Um, so, and I think that's a very general thing in, in, in life as well about how, you know, we go to school when we learn all these things like, you know, Pythagoras theorem in maths, like what, what does that serve us right now? Like, where are we learning about, you know, how to manage life, how to manage ourselves and what self-discipline is and self-management and regulation and emotions and, you know, and then to the other degree of, you know, how mortgages work, for example, like you just have no idea. And it's like, there's a fundamental piece, I believe, is is missing. And for me, it, what what really showed up for me was, you know, the the emotional side and emotional education and that um, having that space um, at home to to be able to explore those things because I think is really, really important. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing that that's coming up um, as you speak for me is there's not enough um, education around checking in with Um, each other or your children because we're almost kind of being brought up as exactly the same in different houses because religion plays a really big part in our culture of South Asians Um, and they they get kind of mixed up very very quickly Um, I mean there's so many religions that are practiced like Hinduism or Islam or Sikhism but what I find really interesting is when um, you go back to the thousands of years and connect kind of what, you know, um, civilization was, it was kind of all of us living and breathing the same type of culture. And then, of course, we were separated along with kind of borders. And then, you know, we split into two different countries, mainly based on religion, which was India and then Pakistan. And then we all went kind of in our own different ways. And over 90 percent um, of people probably feel that, you know, they, they they almost have an identity crisis because, for one, they don't seem like they can really speak the language because um, it's not practiced enough. And so you would go into an Asian culture and then they you might be made fun of because of the way you pronounce certain words. But then mm. when you're in the British or English community, you're almost kind of, to, to my point when I started this episode, was talking about kind of how do you show up when you introduce yourself? I know I'm guilty of that where... I, when somebody asks me where I'm from, I say, I'm Pakistani. But when at times, sometimes, you know, I have said, oh, I'm British, um, they'll look at me and I'm like, oh, I'm British Pakistani. My parents were born there. I'm born here. But yes. So it's like you almost kind of have to uh, fill in the gap with that puzzled face that you see and people saying, huh? Um, mm. it, it's just very interesting what you're saying. But then looking at it from being within that culture and in that space, um, and for somebody who has learned about religion, um, 
and I was very lucky. So I was brought up in Brixton. Um, it was extremely, uh, it's very diverse now, but when I was growing up, it was, you know, a lot of the black community. And so I think we were one of the very few Asians in this community. And the school I went to was mainly just either white or black. And you, again, didn't really see that many Asians. So my culture was very different when I went out. It was very different culture to when I would come back in. And so living and growing up in Brixton and then kind of going away for university and then traveling and then working really opened my eyes to different cultures from um, not only within the English culture, but Asians as well, because I didn't really grow up with many, many Asians. So I didn't know that other people would feel the same type of, um, Mm. I don't know, way, uh, like you said, picking GCSE. For me, thankfully, I didn't have those concerns with my parents, but I didn't realise just how um, restrictive and controlling in some households those decisions were. So it kind of makes me feel a bit grateful right now, actually. But um, <laughs> um, coming to my Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. It just changed, like, from, from what you're saying, it's like a, a totally different experience, mm. similar in terms of at home, but mm. outside was different. And, and that really kind of changes your experience. It's fascinating, isn't it? Just to to appreciate, you know, where and how you've grown up and who around, um, both inside and outside, and how that kind of shaped shaped decisions and shaped shaped your milestones. So, yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, I really wanted to get your views on was, um, and, and this I think you'd identify with more because I remember when the movie came out, I could really identify with it. And it's um, Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> I think that movie is... I think it was ahead of its time, but it was so relevant because it was brave to come out by, you know, in the British community to talk about this Asian Sikh Punjabi girl uh, wanting to play football. And I think when I was doing research on how we can kind of show up in this episode, that movie came up and I was just like, it's so true. There's not really that many movies that we grew up with um, that really spoke about or addressed those type of topics. And, um, when I grew up, I grew up with lots of like Bollywood movies, didn't really have like anything more than channel like BBC one to five. And if, say, for example, you did have English music channel on, your parents would come and say, oh, my God, what are you watching? And then you'd put it, flick it back to like an Asian channel. But there was nothing wrong with that kind of, uh, you know, song that would be playing. But it's just so interesting because when I looked at that movie, I I, I laughed so, so much because it's just so relevant in our (laughs) upbringing, I think, and I'm sure you can probably relate too. No, definitely, definitely. Actually, I watched it probably about two months ago. Oh, really? um, it's yeah, it's like a regular kind of every few years, just watch it and absolutely laugh. But um, yeah, no, totally. When that film came out, it was almost like watching your life in front of you, um, just in terms of the way home life was, and then <laughs> it was this whole inside and outside. This is the theme of this um, this conversation, but. Um, yeah, it was just looking at, and there were so many themes that come up, like, you know, th- she was a girl making choices that, you know, were not of her parents' kind of, you know, approval. Um, you know, there was that Western influence and having having friends that, that were that were British um, and how that was rubbing off on, on her um, as her parents thought. Um, and there was also, you know, that there was a wedding going on in the house and it was all about, you know, the expectations of 
you know, her sister's in-laws, for example, <laughs> making comments. And it was just so right um, in terms of how things operate in the community. And it was all about, and going back to that point about me being on the alley um, and being fearful that an auntie was going to see me and report back to my mum. It, it happened to, to Jess in the film, didn't it? She was standing at a bus stop, <laughs> apparently kissing a guy when actually she was laughing with a girl. And oh, it was just like, how? misconstrued things can be um, or people just want this almost gossip to go back and report and almost taint um, an individual and it, it's actually really serious and sad in a way because it's like A, you're, you're making stuff up and B, um, you're using it as kind of a, a a tarnishing, you know, thing against another family um, just to maybe make yourself, like this whole ego thing, I think, shows up in that. Um, and then also you've got her playing football, which, you know, was a whole gender thing. Like, girls don't play football. And that was, you know, the whole issue. It was like how this is so different. And it goes back to expectations probably of how they thought their daughter was going to be um, and how different she was from her sister as well. And then I think, you know, there was um, Tony, who was Jess's friend in the film, and he um, he, he said, oh, I like, I like Beckham too. And he kind of gave a little gave a little kind of sneak peek into his life and about him actually being gay and she was like I, I remember this so clearly and her response was bloody hell or something like that and it was kind of like even that generation you could be of the same but you almost think whoa like how are you going to deal with that with your parents and and everyone else and it was just so true and there was so much color and magic in that film um but also so many real and relevant kind of issues um and you know i praise Gurinder chadha for for making that film and i just remember being at the cinema right at the end um it was the wedding um the wedding scene and everyone standing up in the cinema and I was in Felton cinema so highly Asian populated and everyone stood up and everyone started dancing it was absolutely hilarious it was like really? the film finished and everyone stood up and everyone started dancing to the rolling credits and it was just so funny it was just so interesting that people were just resonating with this and even if there's things that you don't talk about or speak about that were coming up in the film, it was almost like people were like, yes, like this is this is what we want to say or or what we think, but it's being shown in a film and to an audience that that that's much bigger and wider. So yeah, no, very, very interesting and very good film, I think. That's so interesting that you say that because there's one joke that we have in our house um, and it's, um, you know, when Jaws, um, so Jaws in the movie uh, belongs to a, a white English family and yeah. her mum thinks that obviously Jess and her are lesbians. Yeah. That is that wedding scene when they're all standing and she she says that really funny line, get your lesbian feet out of my daughter's shoes. shoes. <laughs> Yes, right at the wedding, right at the scene when everyone's waving goodbye and crying to the bride. Yes, and she just comes out with that. It was absolutely hilarious. But you know what? You know what? I, th I think that film just, um, for me, um, 
it really resonated with one of my values, which is freedom of choice um, and being stripped of that because I think there was many times in there it was about the control and about kind of, you know, not allowing Jess to really feel or make her own choices. And I think that, for me personally, um, I've witnessed kind of the the devastating impact of being stripped um, of having that freedom of choice. I think for my parents, for example, of having a arranged marriage, um, they got divorced um, and I, I witnessed that. And it was kind of like, whoa, like that wasn't the right thing. Um, and then also, you know, looking at other family members and, you know, being in these controlling environments, um, what impact they had what impact that had on their lives and you know there's things such as depression and alcoholism that I've witnessed um and when I speak to relatives or I speak to people about this it was all about not being able um to really make their own choices and be able to be themselves and and do what's right for them so I think I think it's really really important and that that theme came up um in in Bender Beckham too about you know making making your the choices that are right for you um and yeah and what's interesting as well is um even though the taboo around um sexuality is definitely taboo in 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 asian culture but even in that movie with that line being said it came from um jules's mum um, who did belong to a British English family. So, you know, what was also really good about the way they showed the movie was that this is not just an Asian cultural um, uh, concern. It's actually, you know, it's across different cultures. It, and, and that whole concept of sexuality wasn't really welcome, even in that movie, even though it wasn't even true. Please come back and join us where we continue the conversation and really the next part is going to be exploring the process of coming out and how uh, families and religion played important roles in that process of coming out and um, just kind of whatever the experiences you're having in life, how you could change the perspective. So come back, join us and thank you so much for listening um, if any of you have uh, ended up <laughs> up until this point. Uh, thank you, and we'll be back shortly.